All right, Rick DeMond, how you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm good. I'm real good, and it's good to hear from you. Yeah, you too. It's been too long. What are you, what have you been up to, man, these last couple of years? Oh, a lot of painting, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of creating, you know, out just, uh, creating, building, um, working with my hands, making something out of nothing, being a, a family man, mm. kind of more involved with my family than I've ever been. And, mm. um, and that's pretty special. I got, you know, basically two teenage girls that, um, boy, I'm really happy that I've been able to be close to their lives, you know, in the last couple of years. And then, you know, being a, uh, uh, a husband and a, and a, and a business owner and been, you know, actually quite, quite busy. I, I stay busy no matter what. I don't sit around well. Yeah. Well, it sounds like for a creative person, you don't, you don't dwell on things. You get, you get a lot of stuff done, man. You're on the move. You got, you got a lot of, you know, things in the air, right? I do. I do. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a healthier person when I'm, you know, when I've got a few things in the air that I feel like I got control over. Um, if it gets too much, then, uh, you know, then I, start uh having to wrestle <laughs> yeah and where did that start from like how how long have you noticed that about yourself from from a very young age yes yeah from from real early on in fact my 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 mom actually noticed it <laughs> for me um and you know and it was probably a way to keep me busy in 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 creating drawing um building um painting she saw i think that that was something that um gave me peace calmed me down and um slowed me down Hmm. were you one of those kids you think would have been on medication these days if if they if that was around oh they wanted they wanted to put me on she my mom wouldn't do it she she chose she chose keep me busy you know Wow. Rather than uh, than drug me out, wow. so definitely I was a candidate. They wanted to put me on Ritalin, and um, and I avoided that. Well, because of her. How was it manifested early on uh, in negative ways? Like obviously the the art and some things that have kept your brain ticking over have really been positive creatively, you know. But what what kind of negative effects did it have? Oh man. Um, I, I, um, I mean, as a kid, I, I don't know, but I know cause I can't remember or, or, you know, you're just living and you're not analyzing, mm. but, um, but I, you know, I think I deal with, um, with depression if I, if I don't have a, a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I just kind of, uh, I just, I'm not right in the head and I know it and I know what to do to, to get right. You know, I get, I get short with people. I get, um, um, sometimes mean, maybe a little more sarcastic than usual, Mm. but sharp, you know, I get Mm. sharp Mm. and it's not a way I like to be, you know, I just listened to you and Jack talking and, uh, you know, Jack doesn't have, uh, 
and I'm sure he does, but man, he's so grounded and, um, and it's so nice to, to hear and, you know, being creative for me grounds me. Yeah, you're right. And I think you, you learn that through age for sure. Um, but when are the times you notice it the most? Like when does it kind of, uh, expose itself in those moments? When I start getting just anxiety, you know, where I'm just going, I gotta, I gotta, uh, I gotta, I gotta make something here. I gotta, I gotta create. And it's something like, you know, it's, it's not like, um, it's not easy to jump into the space. You have to kick yourself in the ass to get into the space that you know is healing. And, and that, and why I just don't step in. There's a lot of correlations between swimming here too, but why I just don't step in easier. It always dumbfounds me that I have to, you know, wrestle around to do it. And then when I'm in the process of creation, I'm going, why was I, you know, circling around the wagons here, trying to get to this spot? And why don't I just walk in and do it? Why do I have to go through this, uh, this anxious phase of discomfort? And um, am I making any sense? Oh, absolutely. Perfect sense, actually. I think, I think you and I relate on many different levels. Um, you know, and, and I guess the funny thing is, is like, you know, as coaches, I guess we, we, we're expected or we think we're expected to put on this shield, this armor, you know, and be, be perfect and be tough and be, have everything together all the time and have all the answers because you're mentoring and you feel like there's a responsibility in that. So you can't feel like you have any weaknesses yourself. You know, I don't know. I went through that as a head coach and, and I have no doubt you've, you've probably experienced some of the same things, but. um, Oh, absolutely. You know, we're all vulnerable, right? We all struggle. And, and part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast itself is to expose some of that because I think uh, there's, there's this, especially in our sport, I'm not sure why, but we're afraid to connect and we're afraid to talk. It's everybody's against each other. So it's very competitive and it's, um, we're afraid to show weakness and we're afraid to talk about struggles openly, you know? And so, um, but, but I know that when I have conversations with people that I respect like yourself, we all, uh, feeling these things, right? Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you have a, a crazy story, man. It's so interesting and, and I don't know all of it. And so I kind of want to dig deep into a, a little bit of it today is just how'd you get into swimming itself? For health reasons. Um, I was, um, very allergic and very asthmatic as a kid. Um, and, and I, and, and, and you put that with me liking to run around in nature and, um, just, I like to roll in the stuff that, that I was allergic to. And, um, and so that was a, that was a real conflict of interest, you know, cause it was hard to, it was hard to hold me down and I had to get outside and, and and run around and explore and experience just like all kids want to do and just, you know, find the magic of the world. Mm. And, um, cause everything's magic at, at that point. But anyway, I was, I was, um, you know, going to the doctor a lot. I had to go to the hospital a few times for, for asthma attacks. And, and I started getting allergy shots when I was four and 
both arms. And then finally my doctor said, man, you got to move to a, a drier climate. And where we lived, it, was, it wasn't it was hard to find a drier climate because there were so many little mini microclimates in California near the coast. And um, so, and she said, get into swimming. And, um, and so we moved only about 20 miles away, but it was much drier. And then there was a, um, a swim club about four blocks away. And so I started swimming when I was seven and, um, and, and loved it and loved it. Mm, wow. As much as a seven year old can love swimming, you know? <laughs> yeah. And did you notice you had talent for it straight away? Yeah, I did. You know, I, 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 water was, came very, very natural. You know, I, I won my first race, you know, I, I mean, I remember that I went 17, eight and at 25 as a, as a seven year old <laughs> in my first race. <laughs> I know life is funny. You stupid little marks, you know, nice. but anyway, that, that, um, that, you know, winning affects a, a kid, you know, there's a lot of positive strokes that come with that. And, um, and I started getting them early on and, and I had a, a great coach, um, Ann Curtis Cunio. She was a 48 Olympian and, um, I'd walk by her office every day to go to practice. And she had her gold medals up there on the wall in a frame and a picture of herself doing a dive when her, her body was, was like in, in a streamlined position that was flawless. In, in 1948, although she was perfectly parallel to the water, you knew what was going to happen. It was going to be one of those old school flat dives. But um, but it was just like, okay, wow, I, I can see this. And then other things that affected me when I was eight, I watched uh, the 64 Olympics on TV. You know, you you, uh, you you come home and you're watching it. It's on black and white TV. And I saw Don Scholander swim, and I just thought to myself, okay, I, I, I can see that's how you do it. And, and I was able to kind of imitate it, you know, with, with, you know, a lot of coaching and help from in Curtis Cuneo, but, um, but that his, his 200 freestyle race in, in uh, Tokyo. I mean, I, I still have that in my head, you mm -hmm. know, as an eight year old, this, mm -hmm. this guy's, swimming he's got a kick that will not stop his arms are you know he's got a great distance per stroke and and he looked like he was just gliding you know and it was it affected me anyway he got off track a little bit what's next no no, no i'm the same i mean i have john sieben 84 200 butterfly in my head that that race affected me i was never going to be a 200 butterfly don't get me wrong but um that one is just that's just stuck in my head and then and then duncan armstrong in 1988 you know swimming over the top of um matt biondi um wow what a right what a, what a swim and, and those two uh, races affected me profoundly in, in terms of what I, how I eventually wanted to become an Olympic swimmer. So, so I get it, you know, um, you go on later in life to become one of the greatest sprint coaches in history and, and very, uh, very creative, um, in, in, in the sprint realm. So how, why on earth did you decide, did you want to be a, a distance swimmer? Why would you do that? Wow. Okay. Well, there's kind of two questions there because I, I, I became, I just had a natural affinity for, for distance swimming. 
Um, like I remember when I was 10, my, another coach, Art Octavio, um, he took me to these meets in San Francisco and stuff that, um, that had four hundreds for a 10 year old. Actually, they were open swims and I'd be racing anybody. And, um, and so there it is again, you know, you have success at, at something and then you kind of, you kind of fall into that, into that category. But I was, I, uh, I think I had a very efficient stroke as I look back and, um, and I could just kind of, kind of cruise through, uh, in, in some sort of hypnotic state as a very young kid. Mm. And, um, and, and anyway, a lot of success. I mean, you know, if I could beat people by a little bit in a 25, I can beat them by a lot in a 400. And, um, and so I think I was kind of, as I look back naturally, I think I have maybe a pretty even split of white and red fiber and um and i think uh anyway major success doing distance swimming and um and then i go through you know my my olympic fiasco which you know maybe we can talk about but anyway i was i was um had a lot of success but how i got into sprinting was um after i got out of college um I coached summer league for 10 years with my brother, which is oh. just a 50 league, you know, it's 25s and fifties. Mm. And, um, and I, and we, we experimented and, and really practiced the stuff we believed in and which was, you know, don't, don't put them through, um, places where it gets ugly, you know, keep it fresh, keep it fast, keep it looking good and do that as much as you can. And, um, practice the the right stuff plus get all kinds of out of the water you know strength doing push-ups and pull-ups and just um just learn how to how to use your body athletically running dives um running streamlined dives and just fun anyway yeah we we did 10 years of coaching sprinting and, Mm. and got into it yeah and i think i i practiced i mean that stuff's still with me. I brought yeah. that with me the whole time. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm very, very innovative. And we'll talk about your influence on me and many other people in a minute. But going back to what you said about the Olympics, I mean, your experience, you, you qualify for the Olympics at 16, right? To go to the 72 Olympics in Munich. Is that correct? Right. And right. then you go there and, and win a gold medal and then, and then all hell breaks loose. I guess you can tell tell the story yourself. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. That in in a nutshell, it's like that. But you know, I go and I um, you know, I well, going back to the trials. You know, I broke the world record in the mile, and I got second in the four hundred within striking distance of winning. Mm. And um, so I we we get to the Olympics and uh, the four hundreds first and. I swam my prelims and it was, it was one of those races where I didn't even feel it. You know, I was just like, okay, I'm watching the clock. I'm watching my heat. I'm making sure I qualify, but it didn't do anything to me um, physically. And I go have a, you know, a, a a really nice, beautiful swim at, at night. 
and um, and I win by by not a lot. And um, and then I think two days or the next day, the manager wants to see the medication I'm taking, and and I'm you know I, I forget what I said, but I go, hey, it's all it's all on paper. I already wrote all this stuff down, you know, and I showed him what I was taking, and and um, and I kind of got a hint that man, there's something not quite right, but I was 16 and a kid and I didn't really pay much attention and I had a mile to go. And, um, so I, I get to, uh, I, I saw in the prelims of the mile, another one of those races, which was almost laughable from, I mean, I think back then you can make a finals in an international meet easier than you can now. Yeah. And, um, and I have this, this swim and then, and then, the next day, um, I'm called in to meet with the IOC with no representation, um, and and they're and they're grilling me. And this is this is the this is the day before the finals of the mile. And and I'm and I get through this meeting with not a good feeling because of the questions I was being asked and, and kind of the attitude of the interviewers. I'm going, man, this, this isn't good. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I get to the pool and I'm warming up for the final and I'm a little bit screwed up in the head, but man, I want to get on that. I want to swim because I felt like my 400 was in jeopardy. Um, like they might take it away or something. And then, um, and then I'm in the ready room and Don Gambrel, one of the coaches, um, comes in and says, no go, you can't go. So I'm in the ready room, ready to break my own world record. Wow. And, and they tell me I can't go. And, and I, at that point I was fucked. I mean, I was, sorry, I was messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got messed up. Mm. And then I go in to, you know, I, I was just, it was overwhelming and it was more media and more attention and more negative um, negative attention that I, I, I mean, it was just, it was overwhelming. I could barely make it. And, um, and I tried to be tough and stoic and all that. And I was really angry too. And I spent the, the you know, they took my medal away, although I got out of the village with it. I had to send it back oh, wow. in uh, the next January. Mm. If I wanted to swim in the world championships, you know, I could have kept it if I quit swimming, basically. Oh, wow. But I I wanted to break four minutes really, really bad. And I wanted to redeem myself for, I just wanted to show that I can do this with, with any way, anyway. And, um, and I spent a real angry year, um, just, uh, driven to uh to break four minutes and so anyway get to the world championships because i was able to go because i gave my medal away and and um and i break four minutes and i i'm racing the exact same guy that that um that that i beat at the olympics it's kind of a it was just another the same race again basically just Mm. just just faster and um then at that point, um, 
I, I really lost a lot of my heart. You know, I'd been, I'd been changed. I'd become angry and, um, and I thought maybe by being the first to break four minutes, I, I might, uh, it might take some of that stuff away, you know, but I was, I was still known as the gold medal loser. And, and it was just hard on me. It was, it was just really hard. So I, I really went into a few years of, uh, of deep funk and, um, mm. and, and depression and, and people were afraid to talk to me. And, and I, and probably because of, you know, my attitude and, and, um, anyway, I felt very alone and, uh, and, and not connected to the, to the planet. Um, and, and that took, that took, took a while. So that was, that was a, that was a long, painful struggle to, to get through that. And, you know, we didn't have psychiatrists or any kind of psychological help or people that you can talk to. In fact, then it was, it was like, if, if you're going to go talk to a psychiatrist, you're, you're messed up. You know, you don't, you don't want anybody to know about that or anything. Yeah. You know, there was, there was a stigma attached to it. Now it's almost like healthy. Yeah, which it is. Sure. So anyway, um, that, you know, I was in a funk for, for a long time. And I think what pulled me out of it was coaching little kids, coaching and, mm. and, and seeing the light in kids' eyes and um, making an effect on them, teaching them stuff, watching them through the process get better, um, you know, lighten up in, in terms of just the, the light in their eyes. And, um, and for me to give it up was very healing for me. It, it did more for me than, than I'm sure the, the kids. And I know it affected them too, but it very healing. And that started my coaching career. Wow. Then, <laughs> then Jokums, who's a, you know, very famous, you know, coach that has a huge resume. Mm. He, he was coaching at the U of A and wanted me to come down and, and, um, work with sprinters cause he really didn't like them. And, uh, <laughs> and so that, that's kind of got me in 1987. I think I was helping Jokums. Um, coach sprinting for $1,200 a year. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> that was my first paycheck. $1,200 for a season of college coaching. <laughs> wow. How do you survive on that? Hopefully you're selling some art or something. <laughs> no, I was, I was doing art and other stuff, you know, and, um, and living off um, summer league too, because we had a big lesson program and yeah. we, you know, we really had a, a, a swim biz going, you know, so, mm. but I really like coaching you know, a higher level athlete. And, um, and that was kind of what got me into it. Yeah. Wow. That's an incredible story. It was there ever any, um, explanation from the Olympic committee about why they decided to strip you? You know, it, it, um, that Olympics was, um, so full of uh, um, controversy mm. uh, there, you know, and, and you know, the Arab Israeli thing, it was just massive. And I, and I think 
you know, the, the Arab-Israeli thing happened right at the same time that I was talking to the IOC, and I think they just wanted to get my deal off the table quick because they had much bigger things to deal with. Uh, and so I think I kind of got lost. As I look back, I think I kind of got lost in, in, in the shuffle. If it was under different circumstances, I think it probably would have been actually worked out. Mm. And, um, mm, yeah. but it just got put, put to the back and, and there was this much bigger fish to fry yeah. for the IOC. Sure. And the USOC, it was their fault. <laughs> so they, they weren't, you know, they weren't admitting that. And, yeah. uh, and so I, there was just a lot of things going against me and, you know, politics are funny. And yeah. I was in the I was in the middle of it, uh, you know. It was a crash course in world politics at a, at a very young age. Wow, has there ever been any um, formal apologies or any uh, peace come out of this in any way? Any positivity? Um, the USOC had yeah did a, a formal apology um, probably in early two thousands. Okay, and um, and so that that was that was nice. That was, that that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I thank them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you got to get some closure. You know, you can't just keep hanging on to that for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in one way it's, you know, can't, I've been tattooed, man. It's on me and it's Mm. just, uh, you gotta, you gotta deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So have you had any, uh, lessons along the way that you can teach your athletes i mean any any similar circumstances where you've been like hey man i've been through this you know or oh absolutely really absolutely yeah i mean you know i think i think when you've been through pain you can kind of help other people um you know stay the course and uh and and you know try to renew their faith and um Mm. And, you know, I think my, my process definitely has helped me communicate healthy processes, what I think are healthy processes to, to athletes to get through, you know, um, hard times and hard times are part of the deal. There, there's no, you know, I was just listening to you and Jack, there, there's no way, you know, growth comes in hard times, growth, growth, um, you know, it, it, that's a catalyst for, um, you know, hard times is a catalyst for, for growth. If you can, if you can use it as, as such. Yeah, sure. Well, you're uh, this uh, amazing assistant coach at Arizona for many, many years. I think, I think a total of 24 24 years or something like that with the, with the same team. It's pretty unusual these days. And so I'm sure you saw a lot of great people come and go and, and influence people in, in many great ways. Uh, what were the things you were trying to achieve with your, with your sprinters while you were there? Oh, wow. Well, um, I get, I guess, I don't know what I was trying to achieve, but I, you know, trying to, trying to reach, all the personalities <laughs> and, um, and, and be, be effective. Um, sprinters are, um, 
you know, they're like, they're like gunslingers and they, and they got, <laughs> they got, they got big egos and they, um, and, and, and you got to work, you got to work with that. And they're all, and they're all different. But one thing is like, I learned is, you know, definitely try not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know? And, and, and I think for me learning from who was in front of me, um, I, I think those, those were like the best teachers. They, they taught me so much, you know, just coaching all these people and seeing how they, how they, how they worked and what they responded to. And then you can bring that to the next generation and, and, and the next generation, but um, recognizing their natural abilities and not trying to put them into um, a specific category, keep their uniqueness mm. with them. And um, a lot of times those things, you know, um, turned out to be, you know, you know, things that, started a next wave you mm. know like um i don't know how to explain it but you know there you just talk about tandy tandy's one he's you know brad tandy he um yeah he's his his start okay it it's it's so interesting and um and i think maybe a lot of people might want to mess with it but if you saw what it did and where it could come up and when he hit those things what would actually happen and and it was totally unique to him you know he 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 went in the water like an eel you know where schumann went in like a javelin mm. and um and so just you know trying to keep the you know the originality of these of these athletes um and 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 learn and learn from it and not try to put them into a mold that you know you see as here's how you do it because the future, you know, the future is going to be in front of somebody sometime if they're lucky, it's going to be right in front of them and they're going to be looking at it and, and you're going to want to just kind of hang back and, and leave it alone a little bit and let this thing develop on its own because uh, you don't want to, this is me talking, I, I didn't want to like ruin something that was so beautifully natural. Mm. Mm. Making sense? Yeah, so you would take what they would bring and what they would offer and try and work with that instead of trying to change it and put it into a mold, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, try to be very aware of, of what's individual out there. Athletes respond to that, at least the ones I've dealt with and a lot of sprinters. What's um, the differences they, between they, coaching the men and the women? Um, somewhat, um, <laughs> I don't know. When I think of the really good ones, there's just definite commonality across the board. You know, uh -huh. I mean, the women could actually be meaner <laughs> mm. and, um, man, I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble saying something like that, but man, uh, an elite woman athlete is, is not afraid to stick the knife in and twist it, man. Mm. <laughs> At least the ones I've coming across, mm. you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the really good ones are, they're hard. Mm. They're hard. And, yeah. and, um, and I think maybe in some cases harder than the men. And hard. When you say hard, you mean like they're, they're, they're super competitive, right? Obviously. 
Absolutely. I just mean, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mean hard to deal with. I mean, yeah. just, just un, unforgiving personalities, mm. Um, mm. just expecting a lot and, and willing to go there. I mean, any, any elite athlete expects a lot and is willing to go there, but, um, Hey, women can pull out the B better than anybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, I coached a girl named Ariana Vanderpool Wallace that you know very well. And I had great success. Yeah. Yeah. And then she had that, man. She had the, the, all the, all of it. Mm. Yeah. And I know you had, you had a few of those yourself, you know, you just had these girls. You're like, like when you look at them behind the blocks, you're like, Oh wow, this girl is about to kill it. You know, it's like, they've got this look yeah. in their eye. Like, they're unstoppable, you know, that, that kind of that, that Beyonce look, you know, that it's like, woo, here we go. You know? Yeah. I don't know if I want to tangle with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I loved it. It was, it, it's awesome. But, uh, what are the, what are the, some, some of the innovative creative things that, that you were most proud of while you were there? Oh, I think, um, I think um, tuning into power and 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 training power as as a, a real um, you know uh, key to to as if I don't know how to say this, um, but but integrating power in, into a prog- program and 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 believing in it and trying mm. to figure out how to how to do it right because yeah. you know it's kind of counterintuitive it's slowing you down but but if you can mix it right i think you can you can gain a lot because you know sprinting is for 95 percent of the people it's power and then you you got some real finesse people in there also but um i think power was was one of them um you used uh buckets a lot at arizona right the power towers right Right, right. And before that, you know, going against, you know, surgical tubing and, and, and things like that. But yeah, the power tower, I think, um, I mean, it's, it's still super valid today. You know, if I, I had yeah. a bunch and I was coaching them, I'd be, I'd be using them a lot. Mm. And, um, and I like them because, you know, it, it's a little bit different. You're, you're, you're gazing a little bit more on, on, just plain effort and technique. There's not always a, a, a number that goes with it. I think it's really good to practice things without numbers that go with it all the time. I think mm-hmm. sometimes you got to have numbers that go with it, but just to be, you know, to try to get into the pure relationship of your body and the water, it's easier to do it when you're not testing numbers all the time. You know, mm. just to, to, um, to, to feel what you're feeling without the, the, the noise of, of times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I'd want to do a whole season with never even using the clock. Just forget it. Just let me, let me look, let me watch. You're, you know what your effort is, and, and uh, I think you could be very successful that way. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, I, what do you I, think? I'm the same, man. I don't, I don't use a watch very often. Actually, it's funny. I never bring a watch to a meet, a major meet, uh, like NCAAs or the Olympics. I don't bring a watch with me. And Greg Troy would always be like, I'd sometimes I'd go up to him, you know, on the pool deck and I'd be like, Hey, can I, can I grab your watch real quick? He's like, where's your watch? I'm like, I don't carry one, you know, but I just, uh, <laughs> I just, just felt, I felt like, it was inhibiting me, you know, that I was, I was, I was chained to this time. And for me, once you get to the meet, it's, it's not about time. It's, it's about what, what's the decision you've made and, and the training has already been done. You know, if you, if you need mm-hmm. to know your time in warm up at the Olympic trials, like we're in trouble, right? Like you're about to walk into right. the most scary environment. And if you're not, a hundred percent prepared for that. This, this watch isn't going to help you, you know? So, uh, right. Uh, I was like that. Times can be a distraction in, in those cases for sure. I love what you're saying. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's great because also, you know, when you start looking at a watch, I don't, for me, just watching a, a, a body move through the water. I mean, mm. I can, I can see a lot. See and, a lot, um, yes. and if I'm, and if I'm looking at a watch, I'm not seeing as much. And I think I'm more effective seeing a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I, when I was a young coach coming into the game around 2006, uh, I started at Auburn with David Marsh and we went to NCAAs that year. And I remember watching your teams and especially I paid a lot of attention to your relay teams because it's not so much one swimmer doing something, but when you've got a relay of let's say a 200 freestyle relay where four people are getting up and swimming a 50 freestyle and everybody has the same skill set in terms of power and stroke length and in and out of walls and dolphin kicks and, you know, head down finishes, all sorts of things that just similarities. And then, and your group always stood above any other team that I really noticed uh, as a whole, you know, it was like, these people are trained well. And and I just could see that. I didn't need a watch to tell me that. It was visually like it was eye popping, and um, and I was just so impressed with that. So I always learned. You always pushed me to be a better sprint coach, and and I felt like I knew nothing in comparison to what you were doing. I was like, what is he doing, and how is he doing it so well? But the more I got to talk to you, the more I realized it was about the feel. It was a, you were paying attention to what they're actually doing rather than putting your time and energy into a watch. You know? Yeah. No, I, I. I... Yes, I think I think I was, and um, you know, I was. Um, um, I think I was more into the into the dance of it all rather than than um, than into you know dividing it up into into numbers. I, I needed to see the the dance. Mm. I don't know if that made any sense, but um, but just the yeah, just the beauty of the of the task yeah. and then maybe getting off track a little bit, but I think there's a lot of drills, you know, a whole, a whole lot. And I think I might've brought that into the swimming world a, a little bit. The fact that, you know, you can, you can train drills just like you train, uh, you know, an aerobic system. Actually, you can, you can train your aerobic system with drills and, yeah. um, yeah. And all things that would just practice, 
perfection, you know, where you just are stacking up effective stuff, um, not not necessarily with a watch, but just effective swimming at a pretty high level, um, just just trying to make, you know, I'm very aesthetically oriented, just trying to make it look beautiful mm. all, all, as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and, that's what a lot of coaches miss. Um, and I, and I guess that's where the separation is with some, some coaches. Uh, I think as a young coach, you, you get trained to follow a system, right? And you get trained to follow what the mass masses are doing. Like everybody's doing it this way. It's got to be done this way. And I never felt like that was you. I always felt like you were out of the box in thinking, I want it to look the beautiful. I want it to look the way I want it to look. I don't want it to look like everybody else. Uh, am I correct in that? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think it kind of happened that way, but I, I think my philosophy was to, you know, stack up as many effective, good looking um, yards or meters as, mm. as possible. And then also, not be afraid to pull the plug when you're not seeing what you need to see mm. and um and then reinforcing something that isn't going to be useful in a in a in a racing competitive environment so to go too far down to the the uh the trail of trashing them for sprinters i mean that was that was horrible mm. yeah <laughs> No, you're so right. Uh, and again, I've learned so much from you. It's just so interesting. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because you're right. I mean, there's that term garbage yardage. And I think that started that started to come into play in the last 20 years, let's say, where we were just swimming a lot of up and down. And, and it was just for the sake of racking up a certain amount of yardage. And uh, I think this is where you were so innovative of just saying, I don't really care about the how much yardage we're doing. I just care about the quality of it and the way we're doing it. I want it to look good. And as soon as it starts to fall apart and not look the way I want it to look, then let's stop it and do something else or get out, you know? Right? Yeah. Either get out, do drills, do something that is, is effective and, and, and training them for a piece of their, uh, of, for a piece of their race, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So would you actively cut up their race and say, we're going to, we're going to train this element and we're going to train this element and, you know, whether it be uh, all the different pieces of the race, is that how you would set up your training to kind of cut it up and then put it all together again? Um, a, a little bit for sure. I mean, definitely with the, you know, with just the systems, the aerobic, anaerobic, you know, threshold and, all the, all the colors, um, you know, putting, putting that stuff together so that it could be the most effective, a lost yeah. track, Brett. Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, just, you want. <laughs> well, I just, it's, it's just a different way of thinking. You know, we used to train, if you wanted to swim the hundred freestyle, let's say you would train, for the 200 that was the theory right you always swim up in distance and so all 100 freestylers had to be great at least training the 200 and then you could swim an effective 100 
that was the mentality growing up for me. And that works for a lot of people. It actually does. But not everybody. Really? Not these days. <laughs> I, I didn't have anybody. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I, I, I mean, maybe back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, not the good ones. <laughs> um, you know, I, well, I always the, felt not like. Not the super sprinters. You know, not, yeah. the, not the 50 guy. That's not going to, that's not going to work, you know. Well, but the way it's got, got a, these a days. a hundred guy that's coming from a 200. Yeah, well, much more rare these days, right? Because you, you're, you're swimming yeah. basically an all-out hundred now. Like it's it's from go to finish, a hundred miles an yeah. hour. I mean, there's no there's no pacing anymore. I mean, if you want to swim forty six in the hundred freestyle long course, I mean, you've got to go right. And and the same with the women. If you want to swim fifty one in the hundred free, if you're a woman. There's no holding back. There's no pacing. There's, there's no, yeah, it's not necessarily I'm going to control it on the way out and come home strong. Now there are still some people getting close to that. Um, but for the most part, you, you got to get going, you know, it's go, it's all go. Yeah. It's all go. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I agree with you on that sense is that you, you bought in, a new way of thinking about sprinting that has really evolved the sport completely revolutionized it. In fact, and you influence people like myself to want to be better and, and think differently and, and push the boundaries and, and, and think creatively. And I think that's where I'm thankful for a, a head coach like David Marsh and, and Richard quick who were coaches who allowed their assistants to be creative and um, I'm sure you had that yeah. as well with Frank, right? Yes, I did. I mean, he, he I, I think, you know, you'd have to ask him, but he, he recognized something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, I th- you know, you think about Marsh. Marsh is a very creative guy. Um, I've gotten to know him somewhat. And, and um, man, he's, 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 He's creative and he's, and he, and he allowed you to be creative and that's, yeah, that's good. Oh, for sure. He'd look over the pool deck and say, Brett, whatever he's doing over there and pointing to you, do it, figure it out. You know, it's just like, so, so that's good. You know, it would challenge you to, to want to be better and, and, and get better. You know, he'd be like, I, I need sprinters that look like that. So figure it out and bring it to us. Let's go. You know? So, um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But there's so many ways to skin a cat, man. I just think there's almost as many as there are people, you know, there's a lot yeah. of commonality in it, but man, there's just a lot of individuality in it also. Yeah. Yeah, and, for sure. um, and I think a coach needs to, you know, get in touch with that part and, um, and, and, and broaden their horizons in those, those areas. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you think we can get faster? Now? You know, I, we are, we're gonna, and, and, um, you know, and I, and I, I and I think about that a lot. And I, I mean, one reason we're going to get faster is just because anybody who, you know, sets the bar that people are going to go over the bar. And so in, in that way, it's going to, going to keep getting better, but there's going to be something technical or a, a revelation or 
something that is going to allow people to get through the water faster. And I don't know, some of the things that I'm thinking about, and this might be a little too far out there, but, you know, you, you, you look at things like, you know, things that move through the water really fast, you know, certain types of fish, dolphins, they, um, there's such an economy of movement and they don't move. Once they get up to speed, they don't have to move that fast. Mm. And these are, these are some of the things that I'm noticing now, you know, that, you know, okay, here's this fish that's now going 25 miles an hour and it's barely moving. Mm. So why is that? And, um, those are just the, the things that are bouncing around in, in, in my head. And, and I'm sure there's some sort of application that's going to go to swimming, um, via that it already has an underwater kick, you know, the, the fifth event, the, the dolphin underwater. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I don't know exactly, but it's, it's going to come, you know, someone's going to break 20 long course in, in, uh, Probably not my lifetime, but maybe yours, you know? Yeah, it's it's coming, I guess. Uh, you know, Caleb Dressler's created some separation, it seems, right now with the rest of the world in, in many of his events. What do you think he's doing well? Well, he's he's got an incredible start, incredible underwaters, um, incredible leverage, you know, I... I I, I love his, um, his stroke is pretty simple and, um, yeah. And he's not good doing the, the thing that I was just saying could be the future necessarily slowing things down, but man, he's got giant distance per stroke and he's incredibly strong. Um, he's got a lot of things going for him, but I, I do like the shape of his stroke. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. He's puts his hand in, gets, gets on water way out there right away. Mm. And um, there's really no idle, idle points, but you know what? Someone will come along and go as fast as him and be a glider. I, I mean, it's, it'll happen. I think, mm. um, you know, I, 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 I don't know for sure, but it's fascinating to watch and, and I love watching him. Yeah, me too. He's, he's incredible. Um, so what's, are you still going to stay in the sport at, at the highest level or are you back in, back into kind of the grassroots area now? <laughs> I'm definitely in the grassroots area, but, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, cause I, we, we deal with learn to swim, you know, so there's just like little kids all over the place, fresh little kids that um, are seeing the world for the first time. It's pretty refreshing and fun, Yeah. but, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be working it, in Colorado for 10 days in March coaching national team people while all the college coaches are doing their, their meets. I'm going to be with urban check. I did that a year ago in, in, um, Chula Vista. So this, this time we're going to do it in Colorado Springs, but, um, and that's, you know, that's just fun. And I'll bring a, a real fresh coaching mind to it and, and have, and have a lot of fun. But it, as far as getting into the everyday, I, I don't think I'll do the, the everyday process. Uh, I, I don't see me 
doing that. I maybe yeah. do it for a year or something, but I, I think I'm done mm. with um with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But you're you're still coaching um some super speedsters. Well, I advise, I help, I write some workouts and, and trying to guide some people that need help because they don't have uh, resources necessarily. Uh, I still think there's a huge gap in the U S swimming and world swimming really between college and professional swimming, even though there's money in it now, there's really not any, uh, training facilities. I think what David Marsh is doing out with team elite in San Diego is, is nice and very unique and, uh, very effective and needed, but, there's a real yes, lack. I agree. There's a real lack. And so I'm hoping that we can um, evolve and we can move into a situation where kids just aren't lost between the college and the pros. And, and there are, there are bases for them to go and train and be with other professional athletes. I really hope the sport gets to that. And, and I'd love to be involved in that level of swimming again, at some point, but, um, but right now I'm working with fitter and faster and, and doing clinics all around the country and working with those grassroots kids like yourself and just enjoying seeing the, the fresh faces of just the youth of, of beginning their journey into swimming and, and exploring that. And, and I, and I love sharing with them. So I, I, I'm, we're in very similar places in our lives. Um, but uh, I've just had the utmost respect for you, man, and, I, and I've learned so much from you. And I, I don't know if I've always told you that, but uh, you've been a huge influence on my life. And you've pushed me beyond uh, what you may have thought you've ever pushed me. So I, so I appreciate everything you've done for the sport. Well, well, thanks. Thanks, Brett. And, um, and, and likewise, I've really enjoyed our friendship and some of our adventures in foreign countries, you know, um, <laughs> and just, uh, the camaraderie of, of this thing. And, and I know that, you know, your, your heart is in, in the right place and, um, and, and you're in this thing for the right reasons. And, and, um, and I think, um, that's, I think more people need to be like that for sure. And, um, and you've been incredibly effective, always had a, uh, some, some speed in the game and, um, and doing, you know, I mean, I'd like to flip this interview around and find out what you're doing. Um, yeah. you know, to get someone going all out for a hundred meters, you know, that's fascinating stuff, you know, and, and, um, and that's the future and, and it's fun. But anyway, I, I appreciate your friendship. Uh, likewise. Well, I think what we should do, first of all, if we don't do it together, you should certainly write a book on sprinting. I mean, I think it's needed. Uh, I think um, Sam Freeze did one many years ago. That was a great resource for everybody. But I think I think you should put pen to paper, and and I'd love to contribute in some way to it. But um, but yeah, I think I think you you're at that stage of your life where you could do something like that, and and it to and and it'd be such a great resource for everybody because I always get so many questions about sprinting and just like you just asked me, like I'd love to flip the interview, but you know, we're always trying to figure out sprinting, right? It's not one of these things where many people have really 
figured it out. And I think a few of us like me and you have got a deeper understanding and I think we could certainly share some ideas and create something that is a little bit more lasting, you know? Yeah. Um, you never know what's going to happen here. I've, I've got a lot of life left and, mm. um, and I'm pretty motivated in, uh, and in a, uh, in a, in a fresh place where I can look at things, you know, more for what they are without any, um, debris between me and the and what i'm thinking about um well start your book on sprinting (laughs) (laughs) makes perfect sense makes perfect sense but start your book on swimming and uh and i'll I'll be glad to help in any way and we'll get it out there man it'd be awesome cool all right um all right you're taking the time bud and i'm glad to hear you're doing well all right yeah, likewise, Brett. You take care, and uh, maybe in a week or so, let's talk. Cool. Thanks, Rick. Take care. All right. Take Bye. care. Bye.